Welcome to episode 205 of Destination Linux. Get your DLN mugs, take a sip, sit back, relax, and prepare to have open source and Linux goodness delivered directly to your frontal lobe. My name is Noah. With me today are the masters of the Sicilian defense, Michael, Jill, and Ryan. Hey, guys, welcome to the program. That's right. Hey. I, I, I've been such a good <laughs> chess player for years that I knew what the Sicilian defense was before Netflix made the show. Totally, <laughs> totally did. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm a master at it. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, it's going to be an exciting episode. We're going to be talking about how to set up a proper home lab. There's tons of things you can do with a home lab. And the truth is that the limits are really more about your imagination than your wallet or it's the true. technology. So we're going to increase your productivity. We'll increase your privacy. We'll show you how to do security. All that's coming up this week. This is why we're going to be discussing the must-have home server setups that you don't want to be without. We'll cover community feedback. We'll talk about news and we'll give you a walkthrough of Git. And of course, we always have our picks coming up right now on Destination Linux. Our community feedback this week comes from our discourse forum. This week, the community has been talking a lot about the recent government-sponsored hacks, which took down the likes of Google and reportedly have made their way through a growing list of key government facilities. For those that haven't heard, the news surfaced that the IT firm SolarWinds suffered a hack when bad actors launched malware in the company's software, which was later distributed to some of its 300,000 clients, which includes many large companies like Microsoft, and it also includes federal agencies like Homeland Security and even nuclear programs. So This sounds great. Oh, it's, 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 yeah. it's fantastic. <laughs> I, th I think that this, is, this is great news for everyone involved, yes. But you know what's interesting <laughs> with this is that the whole idea of this this problem was caused from the company, at least the speculation, the leading cause right now, having a backdoor, the good guy backdoor. Noah, stop me if you've heard this before. We need a backdoor, but it's just for the good guys in the software. And that's going to make it okay because bad guys don't use those doors. They wouldn't use that stuff for nefarious purposes. And the discussion on yeah, the discourse- the key to the backdoor, of course. Yeah, yeah, right. Naturally, the the discussion on the discourse forum was interesting because they were asking in the in the discourse discussion how many Linux servers got hit with this, and of course the answer is who knows. But the ones that would get hit with this would be the ones that put the proprietary software on their machines, and this software is proprietary, which means nobody potentially audit could audit it or know that there's a backdoor built into this for just the good guys. Mm -hmm. And this is what we've been talking about on this show over and over again. And sometimes we get negative feedback about it. Oh, you guys are being too rough on proprietary. Proprietary is great. We need proprietary on Linux to make it grow and stuff. But this is why, like, are Linux servers impacted by this? Of, of course they are. Of course they are. Because Linux is secure. A lot of the open source software, as long as you're, you know, going through and, and that can be audited and you've audited it, is secure. But when you're putting something proprietary on it, you don't know. You have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. And the fact that all of these institutions, 300,000 companies, massive companies, we're talking our military, our government is just throwing this software on top of their servers. And that being able to get into the back door of this has caused this much disruption to our infrastructure tells you how little people still know or understand about what I would consider a foundational understanding of open source and Linux, how important that piece is, but how 
how these these companies just don't understand security. They don't understand privacy and another government took advantage of it. That's how this reads to me anyways. You know, the, the thing that makes it complicated a little bit with SolarWinds is they're a fairly well-established MSP solutions provider, right? And so to a certain extent, it's difficult to fault the server admins or fault the governments for putting their trust in very widely populated software. So I, I, don't, I don't know if I, I, I struggle with that part a little bit, but I, I agree with your premise entirely that to to responsibly understand and and wrap your head around security, you have to be able to look underneath the curtain. You can't just take someone's word for it. And we should have learned that lesson back in the '90s when Symantec was selling software, saying that that they had better encryption than they actually had. And we know that now. We didn't know that then. And that should have been. Those are the kind of times that we should have taken a lesson and said, "Hey, so we're not. We're going to apply a different standard going forward, particularly when it, when it comes to tax dollars." Um, and so from what I understand, SolarWinds is installed on a lot of our government machines because they use that product there. Yeah. And and when you take this down to even a smaller scale, you know, I just can't help but get it out of my head. No, when we talk about the proprietary software coming to Linux, that one mm-hmm. of my fears has been that some of these things that people are asking for to come to Linux, the software itself has embedded metadata capturing mm-hmm. software in it. So it's capturing sure. your usage of the tool, what you're doing with the tool, all of oh, these things. Ryan, trust me, it's a lot more than metadata. For most of these management side, I don't want to pick on on SolarWinds specifically because the reality is there's Atira, there's ConnectWise, there's we use Simple Help, and all of them basically do the same thing. But it it is it is drastically more invasive. Like it will tell me how much RAM is in use. It tells me how much hard disk space is in there. I can click on the directory listing and I can see all of the files. I can copy wow. those files as if I want to. It doesn't give the user any notification that I'm doing that. I can monitor the screen if I want to. I can monitor the CPU usage. I can see all of the services that are around. Running. All of those things are possible. And, and to be honest with you, are most of the time beneficial and necessary when you're in a managed IT environment. It's really nice for me to be able to go, hey, Susie, that RDP short- shortcut that you wanted, it just showed up on your desktop. Just go ahead and double click on it. That's a useful tool for me as a technician to have. What you should understand is there's zero privacy. It's essentially like you're sitting in a glass bowl. And, and modern work environments indeed do that. They, ha- they, they try to get away from closed spaces because they want people to feel like they're out in the open and working productively in teams and all those kinds of things. But, um, but, but at, as it relates to IT security, you shouldn't treat your work device as anything private. And the thing that, is, that I take away from, this, from, that, from stories like that is when you hire a third-party service to come in and they say, hey, we need this remote monitoring stuff, remote access stuff, you need to understand that's like you giving them that computer. That's what you're doing. And so if it's not their computer because you're a government or you're a healthcare provider or you're whatever, you should think twice before. I'm even thinking though, smaller scale, you're absolutely right in what you said, Mm -hmm. but even smaller scale on your desktop, when we invite things like a proprietary messaging app or proprietary IDE or proprietary Mm -hmm. anything in the Linux ecosystem, that platform that we spent all this time making sure it's open source and private and secure is no longer that it can no longer be that at times Mm -hmm. because you don't know what that software is doing on your machine. Look at at, this. I've never look at telegram. Look at Telegram. The client is open source and a bunch of people indeed have open source clients, but the server side is not. And more importantly, they've invented their own crypto. And when, when, when you when you start looking at what that does, is there, there 
then then you have a bunch of people because it was easy to get up and running. That's why the vast majority of us jumped on Telegram right. in the first place and it worked. So that's why the vast majority of us jumped onto Telegram in the first place. And then it was open source. And so the code was out there. And so people started going through it and they went, huh, look at this. All these servers are in Russia and they don't want anybody to see what's on there. And they use their own crypto. That's kind of weird. And then security audits started to come out that said, hey, this is this. There's some real questionable stuff that's going on here. And now look where we're at. Now it's the network effect. Everybody is here and there's no talking anybody to, to coming over there. To your point, Ryan, that wouldn't have been an issue if we would the time to have the conversation about what platform and what was welcome on Linux and what was beneficial to Linux. The time to have that conversation was back when we said everybody should sign up for a Telegram account, not nine, eight years later, seven years later, whatever, when they when they they have mass, they they've gotten serious adoption. And now all of a sudden we've had the time to do all of the things that we claim open source code can do. And we've looked and said, OK, so there's some questions here. Right idea. Wrong timing. Yep. Um, all, all valid points. And and that's why I love this discussion. You know, I think it was really interesting. I appreciate all the conversations out there on discourse, but you could see the conversation that this lent to just us reading your messages and thoughts about how does this impact Linux? And, you know, that's why this community is so important to us is to start asking that because Noah's absolutely right. We start, we should start asking now about this software before that's coming over to Linux that we're excited about, that we get excited about and say, wow, now I could do new things in Linux I wasn't able mm -hmm. to do before this proprietary software came up. But we need to be asking those questions, much like these companies should have asked that question before putting the software mm -hmm. on. You've, all, you've all made great points, <laughs> and I just want to have a little quick counterpoint. It, it's it's a double-edged sword. There are, mm -hmm. there are many valuable tools that are proprietary that there's no way to kind of dismiss them entirely and, and say that the open source solutions are better when they're not. So yeah, nobody said to dismiss them. I think I it's just the asking the right questions. And Nico Jet in chat says in games, we need games to be open source too, so we can audit them. Gaming has to a level. Yeah, that would be great. But gaming has far less impact on my personal data and information that I wouldn't want getting out to people than you know, a software like a word processor or an IDE or my web browser or things where I'm doing things that actually, I, you know, I would be really afraid yeah. for other companies to potentially use and leverage against me uh, versus a company knowing that I played, you know, uh, Cyberpunk 2077 for seven hours. I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. To dovetail onto that, there is a difference between a piece of soft proprietary software that you fire up, use for a task, and then shut it back down and that thing isn't running, and an agent that you install on your server that runs probably as root 24-7, 365 for the expressed purpose of giving somebody from a different location unmitigated access to that machine. Like, yeah, for sure. That's what that that's what that remote software does. And so there's there's a to me, like Compare when 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 I hear somebody make a comparison, or when, when I when I hear that come out, and and people say, well, you know, shouldn't we shouldn't we treat games like that, or shouldn't we treat messengers like that, or shouldn't we treat like to a certain degree, you also have to kind of step back and say, okay, but those are to in a totally separate category of the kind of access that they have to a machine, the kind of resources they have to a machine for as sure. these monitoring agents, right? Yeah, well, right. I'm I'm definitely I'm not I'm not advocating for proprietary. I'm just advocating that we need to take into considerations that there are certain things that there are. But you could have those. Yeah, you well, could have those. I'm saying that there's not... a lot of times when we talk, when you're anti, when people talk about anti-proprietary, it's kind of like a blanket statement. And there are mm -hmm. certain cases where it is okay. And I and I think that the gaming mm -hmm. aspect is. I agree with that. It's it's not that big of a deal. And I also agree that a proprietary browser is a is a nightmare scenario. And in this case, that's even worse because this uh, a proprietary access for remote systems or whatever like that is just that is insane. So. 
Yeah, I agree with that's completely what we're talking that. about. That's yeah. what I think Ryan yep. and I okay. absolutely. I just wanted to be clear to people that you know it's it's not. A, oh, now you're just trying to backtrack. What we no, I am. You're on the I, other no side point, of the I'm bridge. Not she just wants proprietary no software. He loves proprietary software. I'm just saying. I want to play. I want to use After Effects. Just, okay. Michael's got a new yeah, section of the show I, where he gives I you his top ten Michael. proprietary <laughs> software <laughs> picks. <laughs> None of it will work on Linux, and if none of it will work very well, but you can. Uh... The most important part of this is we love hearing from a worldwide community, and what we want you to do is get your official DLN mug, fill it with some coffee, sit down at your nearest stool and send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. And if you want to join in the community discussions like this one that we just talked about here, head to the DLN community forum by going to dlnforum.com. And it's all there for you. You can engage in the conversation, give your opinion. Let us know why Michael is wrong. Wait, no, what? <laughs> I thought that was the purpose of the forum. That is not the purpose of the forum. I mean, oh, I, I assume that it'll, at this point That's it might be I've used that way. <laughs> of course. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new app platform service, which is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites quickly and easily. Simply point to your GitHub repository and let the app platform do all the heavy lifting. It has support for Python, Node.js, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, and... Docker. DigitalOcean runs their app platform on their own infrastructure, so your costs are significantly lower than with other products. Plus, they built this new app platform on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you can take more control of your infrastructure setup. As a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. And I just want to say that DigitalOcean has been such a wonderful uh, sponsor to the Linux community in helping out. And, you know, they've sponsored... My organization, the Linux Chicks of Los Angeles, at our meetups, at the Southern California Linux Expo, and on our website. And they have done that for many other Linux communities. They're just really amazing. Yep, I agree. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And we want to thank you, DigitalOcean, for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. We love you. We do love them indeed. And you know what's awesome is our topic can heavily revolve around digital ocean as well. In fact, this week I've been setting up all kinds of different fun projects. Like I've been playing more with my tour bridge, Jill. Uh, so I know that awesome. you've, you've set those up before and I've been watching the traffic using NICs going across the bridge, just seeing how many kilobytes the server's using, how much traffic it's passing. It's just been awesome. I also got my pie hole reset up nice again which you know when you see that thing blocking so many ads i have it set up on a raspberry pi screen and you can i can watch it all throughout the day all the ads that's blocking and stuff just amazing and that's what our subject is about today is setting up home labs because during the holidays you have your relatives come over most of them you don't like let's be honest i mean (laughs) And, and you want to go find, okay, maybe you like your relatives, but you still want to go find some fun <laughs> projects to work on during your free time because you probably have some time off at work. And setting up your home lab is an awesome project to spend some time doing. 
So I went out to the community in our discourse forum and I asked, what are your favorite home lab projects? What are the home lab servers that you set up that you just can't live without? And we got a lot of different ones here. We have Pi-hole, of course, that we talked about, which essentially is an ad blocker home server. Alfnix mentioned OpenWRT and Vert Manager. We have Mattermost Team Servers, which are basically a Slack alternative. Jellyfin, Synology Video Station. I don't think that one's open source, though, the Synology Video Station, but Synology is pretty awesome. I have to hand it to him on that one. And uh, all kinds of different things like sync thing as your personal Google Drive. So what I wanted to do is just ask you, the host, what are your favorite home lab server projects that you have going in your home? And Jill, got to start with you because with your 9,956 computers, <laughs> I'm sure you have some cool servers set up. Yeah. So I've had a, um, a, a Samba, a classic file server with Samba nice. for sharing files locally with Linux, Mac, and Windows clients. And uh, I've had to do that, of course, for my business over the years, my animation business. And I've also had an FTP or an Apache HTTP server set up. Because again, you know, before the age of cloud storage, I would build a home server to store my animation projects on so I could access them from work and home. And uh, But having one today is still so useful because you have your own local backup and you don't have to rely on expensive cloud storage. <laughs> That's definitely a thing. It gets expensive after yeah, a while. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> so let me ask, you don't have to have high-end software to run a Samba server. You can run that on a Raspberry Pi with oh, some yes. additional USB drive attached to it. But knowing you, I'm sure... It's probably on like doing some mainframe something or something. Fancy. <laughs> yeah. what, what are you running this on? Yeah, Punch cards? so uh, a Deck Alpha. <laughs> <laughs> and Naturally. it's uh, actually right behind me. It's the size of a coffee table. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Nice. All right, well, if you don't have a Deck Alpha handy, what I want to talk about when we go through these servers is you can set this stuff up on very low-end hardware. In fact, this is a perfect opportunity for you to take a laptop, a desktop, a Raspberry Pi that you have hanging around. Maybe the laptop and desktop you have has aged out. You can't really think of a purpose. You can use it for everyday productivity, but they make great servers, right? They make a fantastic Samba server or a fantastic file. So you can repurpose your old equipment to do these things. You don't have to have, you don't have to spend thousands of dollars on a blade server to be able to do what we're talking about here. You can do this with very minimal setups. Michael, do you even have any servers at all? I mean, yeah, of course. I have. We have servers uh, for the like DLN has servers on DigitalOcean, like okay, NextCloud gotcha. stuff. We have uh, Cody me, MD that's, servers. That's <laughs> DLN's that's property. Someone uh, else. Well, I'll get to you, it. I'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> I also have uh, my own stuff for like using Cody. And I haven't set up Jellyfin. Nice. I'm very interested in trying that out. But I have I have used Cody for a long time. I've even worked on making add-ons for Cody. So you know there there is that. I am not a person who typically has a ton of different server stuff, but I do have a lot of stuff related yet. to like webs. Well, yes, yet, but also like ready to web servers and that sort of stuff. So I have my own server set up for uh, my Joplin note taking app and stuff like that. So I do have uh, quite a few things that are uh, server, you know, based and home lab stuff. But I typically put all my stuff out on like a DigitalOcean droplet. If the things that I have locally are like Pi Hole and that sort of stuff, because I, I mean. 
it is really cool that you can have the Raspberry Pi running stuff, which I do have some Raspberry Pi running some stuff. The, you know, having DigitalOcean uh, as an option with the droplet to be able to have a really cool stuff. You could with just the $5 droplet, you said like you get to get one, you know, mm-hmm. server per droplet or whatever. You can have like multiple things. And I use that every week. A lot. I keep dropping new droplets. It's like I can't, I'm addicted mm-hmm. to the process of <laughs> doing it so much so that sometimes I just, figure out a way or reason to go create another server for fun. Like I just migrated everything to Fedora recently just cause like there was no reason. (laughs) Everything was running fine where it was, but I was just like, I just want to migrate everything. So that's the fun thing about having a cloud service like that is you can just tear it down and rebuild it however you want. But for me, the pie hole has been one of my favorite little small projects that anybody I think with minimal experience in Linux could easily set up in your whole family will get value out of that. And that's going to block all the advertisements. It can even help speed up your internet traffic technically because it's stopping it before those ads even get loaded. And it basically acts as DNS. And so you just point your DNS to of your computers or in your router itself to that pie hole and you can watch all that traffic come across it, which is awesome. Uh, Nextcloud to me. I mean, what would we have done on DLN without Nextcloud? I feel like all <laughs> of our services that are important to us are Nextcloud. And if you don't know what Nextcloud is, this is a solution that's like Dropbox and Google Drive all combined, except it's open source with security and privacy and everything built in. We do our contacts. We do our project management through this tool. We do time management. We do our calendar, all of our documentation. Nextcloud has just become that thing for us. Uh, You mentioned a Kodi server Minecraft servers, another one, if you have kids at home, would be a great one to set up for the holidays. But now we've got to do the big hitter here, the other big hitter, I should say, because you got Jill servers. But what about Noah? What kind of home servers Mm -hmm. do you have, man? (laughs) So there are two racks in my basement. And um, one of them I'm going to just kind of put aside for a moment because it's all the stuff that normal people don't need or have. But if you own an (laughs) IT company, we can do a separate episode about that rack. Uh, But the the, the rack that's in the house, um, that runs the house, uh, I every basically every client I work for and every person should have the following. They should have a a good routing platform that they trust, a file server that they trust, a virtualization host that they trust. And if you have those three things that you know how to manage and set up, then you can have all the other servers with those three things. But you need a place to store your disks. You need a place to back you need to store your data. Yeah. You need some way to back up all of those things. So you should have a backup strategy for your FreeNAS, which I'm sure is what you landed on for a file server, and Vert Manager, which is I'm sure what you landed on for a virtualization system, <laughs> and PFSense, which I'm sure is what you landed on. I for feel a like you're pushing me towards a <laughs> no, not product. at all. Oh, but okay. if you if you landed on those three perfect, nothing to be desired platforms that are open source, if you did those three things, then you would have everything you need. Now, when you when you start to explore other things, and you say I want to do Pyhole, or I want to do Cody, or I want to do Jellyfin, or I want to do MB, or I want to do Plex. You can try those things out, but the way to try those things out is to first, the media library should be on your file server anyway and being backed up and all those kinds of things. So it doesn't really matter how we present that to the users. And then you're going to start with Plex and then realize that you want something open source. And then you're going to go to MB, but realize that you want something open source. And then you're going to go to uh, Jellyfin and then you'll probably land there and stay there. Um, Mm -hmm. But you you only get to try that. If you can click a new VM, spin it up. No, don't like that one. Blow it away. Click a new VM, start it up. Ooh, now I want to play. Snapshot. Play, 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 play. I broke it. Roll back. Play, 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 play. I broke it. Roll back. 
you can do that with virtualization. You can't do that without virtualization. And then once you have your virtualization foo on top, then the, the next virtualization server you should spin up should be a Docker host. And then you can start playing with containers. Mm. And once you have containers figured out, then you can start using Ansible and start commanding the machines instead of to do things, to be things. Uh, and, and, and that's that's where we start getting into the second rack in, in, in IT environment. But, <laughs> but, but there's there, the, the, the reality is, again, it's mo- a lot of times I hear people and they say, what equipment do I have to buy? Do I need an? Do I need a brand new R set? What? No, no, you don't. It's not about your budget, and it's not about the hardware so much as it's about your creativity and your understanding of how to use the hardware that you have. You mm. can have. You can take a machine that's a fourth gen i five and virtualize it, and you can have a Minecraft server, a torrent server, a VPN server, a Tor bridge, Good a Nextcloud. All that's going to run. I will caution you. I, I you. I know that Destination Linux has used it. With, with some success, but I have had nothing but abysmal failures when, when it comes to syncing files in Nextcloud if those files are of li- large size. If you're mm. doing a couple Word documents or images, no big deal. But when you start getting into, hey, I have this 10 gig project file or I have so-and-so's PST file, it's 34 gigs, and you try and sync those, that PHP backend just can't handle it. And so in those situations, I switch over to C, or, uh, C file, which is a, 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 which is a true open source Dropbox replacement. It also handles encryption and does all those things. But I've pointed C file at terabytes worth of data and it just sits there and chugs along as fast as the bandwidth can handle it until it gets those files replicated across to all of its endpoints um and then there's a bunch of back-end configurations so you can do you know separate storage and high availability and all those kinds of things which again is great for learning but uh, the, the the reason that people do home labs and there's a there's a as much as we don't like the platform there's a really good the best group for this is actually on facebook there's a, there's a, yeah, I know it sucks, but, <laughs> but, but the thing is that what's really great about home lab is this, the purpose of the home lab is really to explore and understand technology. And the way to explore and understand technology is being around other people that have explored technology and, and, and can point you in the direction of that. And so that group on Facebook is made up of thousands of people that work in the IT space. And so they have found ways and said, Hey, our company wanted us to spend $27,000 on this VM infrastructure. And I found this little guide on how to set up libvert and this actually works just as well. And you can do this. And then other people will chime in and say, Hey, actually I work for Red Hat or I, I, I work with Red Hat and here's kind of how we have tweaked that and kind of got that to work. And so you start to be able to simulate something above like, Oh, I have a pie hole and does a DNS thing. And, and that's really cool and useful when you get, when you have a command of all of that and you say, okay, now I have all my home lab work up and, it, and it's working. Now what everything, all my family is happy. I can't do anything more. The journey isn't over. It's just started. Now you leave that stuff alone and you continue to play with your home lab because it's about you exploring and learning. And there's a whole group of people. There's a whole world of people that want to do that with you. So I find I, I might just take that as the explanation for why I have the tagline, fill your brains. Yeah. Um, yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's all yes. about continuing to fill your brains. Walking example of this. Yeah. And, and so that really is the point is that a lot of this stuff doesn't fit my industry specifically, but I want to know, I want to understand how these things work underneath, much like I do with physical hardware components, understand how everything works behind the scenes. And that's why it's been so much fun for me and why I wanted to cover this topic in the show, because if you haven't taken Linux to, if you're just using Linux on the desktop, that's amazing, great experience. But if you haven't really started exploring building out your home lab, Noah's 100% right. Number one, the knowledge you can gain um, even though some of the stuff isn't directly related to my career, there are pieces of it that have helped me tremendously later on. Um, just parts of it, just the understanding of how the infrastructures work. 
and the different products that are out there and why they're important. And like the C file thing, I would have never come across that, Noah. What amazing, that, that's what you're talking about when you say you have to socialize because I don't move 35 gigabyte files typically, so I've never come across it. So NextCloud's been perfect for me. But that's when, right. when you say, hey, be around these other people, you know, join in the community, join in the discussion. That's when you learn stuff like this right even right here on the show right i've learned something new uh, yes yeah. and in the discord forums and in the chat rooms and uh, yeah. the, i i i point out the facebook community because if you're if you're looking for the the best place to to get that specific knowledge that it's there but like let's not kid ourselves pretty much everybody that listens to the show is that person right we all yeah. like exploring <laughs> technology and we're in matrix and telegram and discord and discourse and all of the other places yeah. Yep. What you're no, saying just, is that people should join the discourse forum and then join the thread about talking about the home, the, the home lab stuff and let no, let Ryan mm-hmm. know why he was wrong. Whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa. You what? don't turn this back on me. Hold on a second. Huh? We don't, we don't, when do we ever do that? That's yeah, just, we don't attack people safe. on this show. I, of course not. I wouldn't do that. That'd be ridiculous. Okay, good. Cause uh, we don't do that to you. And also if you want to, if you want if, to if like sandbox yourself, we should talk about VPNs. Cause that's another great <laughs> option for, uh, yeah. you know, talking about the, the, uh, home labs and the being, being able to create a VPN. VPN server is something that you can do with the Raspberry Pi and OpenVPN and even like mm-hmm. WireGuard and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that is another great option for people to use. Some of these things I have dabbled with, but not really got really into. And uh, you, you're you're actually convincing me to put more effort into learning all these things and setting it up because I do have a NAS and I do have some things set up. But, We're getting uh, you there, Michael. We're getting yeah. you there. I mean, there, I've there gone were... through the process of doing mm-hmm. these things scattered throughout my experience of using Linux. It's okay. We're not going to take your geek card. You don't have to make excuses. No, no, it's not not making an excuse. I'm just saying that I'm um I don't have them. So. You're gonna grow with us, and you know there's <laughs> it's, there's it's two the on journey here. itself is the there destination. You yeah, there's exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's it's not an excuse. It's a journey. Yeah. <laughs> there's two servers in here that the community recommended that I hadn't heard of. Most of these I at least had heard of if I had not set up myself. One was Octoprint. Mm-hmm. which handles all of your yeah. 3D prints remotely with drag and drop <laughs> printing in LAN, which was pretty awesome. And then Pat Plus Linux mentioned Bookstack, which is yeah. a wiki which organizes like a bookshelf and he uses it to compile his D&D source books. Nice. So that was pretty that was awesome, awesome, I think there. And yeah. by the way, Pat Plus Linux, someone in our discourse forum is looking to set up like a D&D meetup group within our community or something. So go check that out. Uh, yeah. Since you've got the source books, that we actually were challenged on Twitter to do a D and D thing too. So I mean, that we, you know, who knows? That could be happening. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there's so many great suggestions out there for file servers. So go ahead to our Discourse forum, check those out, see what the community is oh, setting up. Before what they're we before we move in. on, I want to let you know that there's actually I've been working on my Sicilian defense because I found a recently <laughs> I found a chess uh, self-hosted <laughs> server that you could set up called La Chess. And uh, there's there's that option as well. So you can work on your Sicilian defense just like I am not because I don't even know what it is. Cool. <laughs> you go do that, Michael. Chess master here. Yep. You know what else? You can also self-host some other stuff, including your very own instance of Bitwarden. That's right. You can self-host the awesome open source password manager Bitwarden. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager as well as additional authentication such as a master password and adding phrases to even fingerprint security, all sorts of stuff to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. 
Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because it is 100% open source software. And in addition to that, they didn't stop there. They also do security audits where they hire third-party firms to check out and audit their code to make sure it is as secure as possible. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your free account. But if you're like me, you want to show your appreciation for the company that supports open source and you get the premium account, which is only $10 per year. That's right, per year. And you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step log in with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Priority Customer Support, a TOTP, Authenticator Storage and Generation, and so much more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with your account. Check out the premium, account, premium Edition because there are so many great things in there and it's only $10 a year, so it's an easy decision in that case. So thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. Are you getting the itch to have your own Linux-based OS yes. for your phone. Yes. Wait, I didn't for even for a hundred times. Yes, I didn't even finish the question. <laughs> oh, okay. Keep going. <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, it makes sense because the answer is, of course, yes. Uh, you, uh, checking out the UbiPorts Ubuntu Touch latest release of uh, OTA 15. There are new devices that it has support for. There's a lot of new features in it has support for. And like they have updated the Morph browser and all sorts of stuff. And that what is really cool about the, UB, the UbiPorts Ubuntu Touch is that they created this UbiPorts installer thing that is just so cool and how smooth it is to work. So if it has support... So easy. Yeah, so if it has support for this these devices, like the new devices, like the Google Pixel 3a and the Pro 1x from FX Tech and that sort of stuff, like you can check out the whole list. We'll have a link that gives you a list of everything it supports. But the installer is so cool because it you just basically connect it to your device, run this this the software, and it just sets it up for you. And I remember a time when I first started trying out Ubuntu Touch many years ago, There, they didn't have that installer. It was just like you had to go through the process of flashing it and flashing the ROM and all that stuff. And then when I played with it uh, just yesterday, I played with the the installer and it is so much smoother. It is so easy to just you know click it and go. It literally is click next, next. If you can install a piece of software, you can install UB ports if your device is supported right through it. it it's amazing how well they've implemented that and UB ports just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And look, I'm going to be honest with you. I just love the team. Everyone I talk to mm-hmm. over on the UB ports development team is just kind, nice, fun to talk with, excited. They're passionate about the project. There's a long way to go, I think, in a lot of these phone operating systems to get them up to a standard in which a mass community could you know, take them on. But just the fact that we have this as an option to play with as this privacy and security, especially with all the stuff we even talked about at the beginning of the show, just becomes more and more uh, apparent of why it was necessary for so long. The thing we've been preaching for the last five, six years on this show has all been around this idea that this stuff matters, uh, even with people who don't think it does. So having an option out there is great. And UbiPorts is one of the best ones that I've tried at least uh, out for the phone's alternative operating systems. Yeah, definitely. I think it's one, it's, it's probably the most feature complete as is right now. And it's a really nice experience. I mean, yeah, as, as Ryan said, it's not totally available for uh, in mass, the, the mainstream mass adoption yet. But if you're, if, if, if it has all the applications that you need to use it for your phone, it can totally be used as a daily driver. I have used it. And for three months I used it as my daily driver and it was fine. What made you go back out of curiosity to the regular OS? Well, they basically it was just applications. There were specific applications I needed to do uh, business, do my work because as as a marketing thing and social media marketing, I have to use stuff <clears throat> like 
Instagram and whatever, and Instagram requires an app on like you only have Android and and iOS for Instagram and And even TikTok, I'm sure too, right? (laughs) I mean, that's just for fun, of course. Oh, okay. Oh, my bad. I'm dancing all day, every day on TikTok. Good for you. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But stuff like that, you know, that's the the only reason is the app. I think that's why most people probably leave these systems is number one. Uh, for me in a business, I have to have absolute 100% consistency that I'm going to get my messages. I'm going to get my phone calls. There is no yeah. exception or else I lose my job. Number two is uh, there are certain applications that my job requires that I have to connect to certain services and things. But so apps is, again, the big gatekeeper here. But if you're not in that situation, definitely go check out UB Ports and see what you can get done with that awesome project. I just want to take a moment to tell you about frontpagelinux.com. FPL is a website that's created by the Destination Linux Network for news, articles, tutorials, opinions, and so much more focused on Linux and open source. In addition to all of this great content on the site, one of the coolest things about FPL is that you, yeah, you listening to the show, can write for Front Page Linux if you'd like to. So if there's something you want to publish to the world and think it's a good fit for FPL, then please just get in touch with us. Uh, and that's exactly what Deep Graywall did, a new contributor to FPL. Hey, what he did was actually submit a guide for ButterFS. So if you want to get started with ButterFS, oh, it's, it's a, so good too. Yeah, it's so a great good. article to check out. So go to frontpagelinux.com to check that out. And if you'd like to do what Deep did and become a contributor to FPL, then there, here's what you need to do. Go to frontpagelinux.com and click on the contribute link at the top of the site. And this will take you to a page that explains the whole process to become a contributor and submit content to FPL. Anyone is welcome to contribute to FPL. So if this is something that you, that sounds like you'd like to do this, then go to frontpagelinux.com and get in touch. And wrapping up in the news, Firefox is shipping uh, a network segregation. So they're implementing a new feature in the next release coming up in Firefox 85. And this is going to be networking partitioning, which simply limits the various ways in which sites can track you. So this includes things like HTTP cache, image cache, favicon cache, uh, font cache, uh, just limiting the places that that, that organizations can go to to go collect information about you. Network partitioning will allow Firefox to save resources like cache on things like favorite icons, CSS files, images, and more on a per website basis rather than together in the same pool. And this is going to stop other websites from probing those pools to see what info exists and what information they can gather. Now, unfortunately, Firefox isn't the first to do this. Chrome has been implementing this feature last month, as well as Apple, who did this back in 2013. Really interesting stuff. I'm glad Firefox finally caught up here mm-hmm. and has this rolled out. <laughs> they get I didn't to it where realize they can, right? this was the thing, but they got to it. It's out there. So definitely get the latest version of Firefox. And that's definitely going to help everyone's privacy. Yeah, is this, awesome. is, this is really cool. And even if they're not the first to do it, I'm going to pretend as if they are. You do that. You live in your own bubble. <laughs> I, I reject your, your reality and it. substitute my own. There you go. <laughs> Firefox might do it the best. There you <laughs> go. They, That's what I meant. They the waited best. a while. That's they let I it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, you know, just ending on that one, that Firefox really, you know, needs to continue to make sure they're the leader in this area. So I would love yes. to, I love when articles like this come out talking about Firefox furthering the security of their platform and privacy. That's what I think a lot of their customer base is. That's their niche and they need to play to that. So every time I see a feature like this, it makes me happy. Yeah. And it's also worth noting that they might be the first on this. They might not be, but they are the first on a letter, another aspects of a lot of the security as things that they, they're the only ones who are doing certain things. So it's not like, it's not a jab That's at true. Firefox. That's it's a good just point. To point out that like, but they are the first to do a lot. 
Mm. Well, I'm going to give you something fun to do during the holidays in this gaming section because, you know, avoiding your relatives. Okay, I won't go there again. But you know what is, <laughs> you know what's difficult is sometimes you have relatives you don't talk to a lot. They're coming over for the holidays. They want to talk to you about the weather outside because what else is there to talk about? Maybe frightful. they're not into computers. Yeah, it could be frightful outside. So here's a great way to get everybody together and having an absolute blast in your house. I guess nobody's having big parties anymore either. So that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Well, you can I'm still, a big party. You, we do it virtually. You can do it virtually. You could do we this do virtually. On- if you're not having a huge in-person party, you could do this one virtually, which is Jackbox Party Pack 7. And you know what? I could go through this. And the new one comes with a bunch of new games and stuff like that. But Jill here actually has played this as recently as yesterday. Yes. Jill, what's Jackbox Party Pack and why is it so amazing? Oh, they're just, they're wonderful uh, party games that they're, they're essentially trivia games and there's some drawing games. And one of my favorite ones is a quiplash. Two people get to answer a question and whoever, and then you can, the people that are in the the game can, audience can vote on the questions to see who has the best one. And it's it's always a lot of fun. And uh, we also played uh, last night. I played Champed Up. It's a uh, a, a drawing game where you fight <laughs> two drawings fight against each other. <laughs> oh, this <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> that that one's we got to play that on Destination Linux. It's one yes. of my favorite oh games my of Jackbox. If you ever played the original, you don't know Jack from years ago. Man, they've just that gotten, brings back some memories. <laughs> they've just gotten better and better. So over the years, and I love all the party packs. There's always something fun and unique about each one. (laughs) Yeah. And and if your family members don't even know how to turn on a computer, it's fine because you can use this on phones, tablets, controllers, up to eight players. You can have an audience of 10,000 people watching this. So you could really have some fun with your family. And it has a native Linux app, the most important part there. So $29.99 gets you all that fun. Don't have to talk about the weather anymore. Yes. Up next to the show, we're going to do the spotlight. So the software spotlight this week is the fondue. Is it fondue or fondo? Fondo. Fondo. I don't know. Fondue sounds better. It sounds more fun because it's like it reminds sounds me of sounds delicious. The, but yeah, it, sounds, it doesn't sounds have ch- stretchy cheese. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, this is a wallpaper finder app. So fondue, fondo, whatever. Fondo <laughs> has uh, uses unsplash.com, and there is a lot of great stuff mm-hmm. on Unsplash. So there's it's one it's one of the coolest websites because it's a very generous com- uh, community of photographers that are sharing lots of great pictures on their webs on their website, and also uh, some cool uh, wallpaper designs are on that website as well. So just you can check that out, and you can get it all set up for you with this wallpaper finder. So it will automatically give you a lot of cool stuff, and you can tell it like when to give you new new uh, wallpaper. So you can set it like once a day or however often you want to do it. And it has dark mode, Michael. Yeah. Oh, the software has yes. dark yeah. mode. Every web, if, every software, every website, everything, everything should have a dark mode. Please. If it doesn't have dark mode, I'm uninstalling it. Uh, yeah. All the developers out there, if you don't have dark mode in your software, I'm getting rid of it. Um, right now, my wallpaper is Bitcoin because I've been doing a bunch of Bitcoin investment for fun. Um, Noah, what is your wallpaper right now on your screen? Jesus. Really? Wow. There you go. Aww. And Michael, what do you got? I, I have the uh, default wallpaper from Fedora 33 with this, the, the world. This is really nice, like a painting of the world and stuff. Just really cool. It was the default. I liked it, so I kept it. Nice. And Jill, what do you have? <laughs> so I I have a, a 
wallpaper that I've made that that has the logos for Linux Gamecast and Destination Linux because I have the three monitors. Oh, look at that! <laughs> I, I represent. It. I love your devotion. I love it. Yes. <laughs> And Noah, I saw you turn on some computers behind you. Were you checking I just what unlocked, wallpaper was I just there? unlocked it. Then you can see the wallpaper. Oh, there you go, Noah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Very cool, man. Well, there you go. If you want to get a cool wallpaper, check out the Fondo app. This week, we're continuing our tip of the week with our coverage of Git. Now, if you've not used Git before, Git is a way that you can keep everyone on the same page. Now, it's primarily designed for software development, but you can use it for a lot of things. You can use mm -hmm. it for configuration files. You can use it for documentation. I mean, just anything that you want to keep in sync. Um, so we've talked about how to create a file. We've talked about how to add it to a file or how to add it to be tracked by Git. Now we need to stage those changes for, for being committed. And to do that, we simply type git commit. It's proper practice to add a tack M and then in quotes, right. add a message that says why you're making this commit. So fixing spelling mistake, just trying something, playing with something, trying to make Ryan irritated, uh, whatever fits your <laughs> bow, you go ahead and put that in tack M and then, and then press enter. And then that, that stage is, 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 is committed. It's, it's sent back up after you press gets push, which we'll get to next week. And so make sure to check out if some of this doesn't make any sense to you. And you're saying, I don't know how to add files. I, I, I missed that part. Well, it's okay because it's a podcast. So you can go back and listen and you can go back and learn the entire Linux file system. Then when you get done with that, then you can learn all about Git, and then you can come back to this week where we talked about Git commit. Absolutely. Git has been super powerful tool for me recently. And as I admitted, and you all made fun of me and rightfully so that I was focused on the GUIs of most of these tools and not using in the terminal uh, yesterday, I was doing a bunch of website updates and using Git to control the changes and, of course, get those changes implemented. And then I made a mistake and broke my entire site. It wasn't working. And you know how difficult it was? <laughs> I just rolled back to a prior Aww. version. And because I kept good notes in that tack in there, Noah, I was able to see where I made that change and boom, my website is back. So Git is awesome. It's just your wife powerful. comes downstairs. What's what 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 are, what is going on down here? My notes, my documentation was fantastic. I found the I needed, and I was able to revert <laughs> the changes. And now we're back. Yeah, she does. As I'm over there working on the laptop. Will hear me like I'm amazing because I just do something simple like <laughs> actually leave notes for myself. Like the prior Ryan was brilliant. I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not the only one who applauds himself when you when you accomplish something. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 And then she'll ask like, "What was it that was so great?" I took a note. <laughs> hey, buddy, here's, the, here's the thing. That my answer to people is it's not like I can't count on you, the user, to congratulate me so I congratulate myself. <laughs> you you won't understand what I'm talking about, so I talk to myself. Right. I love exactly. it. That's so adult of you, Ryan. Thank so you. I'm, See? I'm so proud you you get it done. Oh, look at <laughs> you. You're using the puns like Michael. Well done. Well I approve. <laughs> Well, that's it. The end of our show. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. Truly, this year has been incredible for Destination Linux network growth, the community growth, the engagement. We're so thankful for that. And we're so thankful for our patrons, all these beautiful people here with us right now watching this live version of the show. But even if you miss the show and you're a patron, you can get unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events, live recordings of Destination Linux every single Sunday. Come hang out with the crew. Talk Linux with us.
And also, if you want to get some awesome merch, you can go to dlnstore.com, and there you can find t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, and so much more. And also, you'll especially want to get a mug to hold the spice of life, a.k.a. coffee, so you can look like a pro while reading mm. the official DLN news at frontpagelinux.com. Nothing goes better with open source articles than a good cup of joe. Indeed. And we have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, DOS Geek Channel, woo, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, and you can get your game on with our latest show, GameSphere, with Chris Ware. Wait so a second, go to wait a Destination. Second. Wait a second. Did you just dab, Ryan? Did you just dab? I think yeah. you did. I did. No, no. For those listening to the podcast, I did not. I did the do- <laughs> I did the DOS Geek dance. That's oh, what that's okay. Called. What, is, what is the DOS Geek dance? Some people may have taken that dance and turned it into the dab. But there we go. That was originally mine. <laughs> well, regardless if you're a DOS, DOS Geek dancer or a dabber, we want you to have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Everyone have a great week. Thanks, everyone. Mm -hmm. See you next week. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye.